Hey, you ready to go today? Huh? I want to see some energy today. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to talk to you about God's word this morning. And I love that song. I teach high school, so some days it's, uh, I need that song to get me going, right? To get me ready to go to meet those high schoolers and, and be able to uh, get my job done the best that I can. But one of the things that, that I love about that song, it talks about, you know, serving Christ till the day I die. And at the end of our life, when we come, we want to have no regrets, right? Just like that coach that fired you up before the game, go out on the field, have no regrets. And that's what we're going to talk about today is regret and how to have no regrets in our life. You know, as I prepared for this message, I found a lot of, a lot of good quotes about regret. Uh, Fulton Arsler says, many of us crucify ourselves between two thieves, regret for the past or fear of the future. Old Papa Hallis, George Hallis says, nobody who ever gave their best regretted it. Or Victoria Holt, never regret. If it's good, it's wonderful. And if it's bad, it's experience. Or Jackie Joyner Kersey, it's better to look ahead and prepare than to look back and regret. And finally, the one I like probably the most from C.S. Lewis, which says, has this world been so kind to you that you leave with regrets? There are better things ahead for you than any we leave behind. So today, we're in one of the next week, we're going to finish our series on battling unbelief. Uh, but today, we're talking about battling unbelief with the sin of regret and how we can combat that sin in our lives. So, as we do that, let's begin with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we just come to you before the message today, and, and I just pray that your spirit would show up. Lord, whether it's a first-time attender or someone who's been to church all their lives, the only difference that can be made is that the word of God is preached and your Holy Spirit comes with the word of God and convicts people in their own lives, Lord. And that's the only way that anything changes. And I pray that that would happen today, not because of any power that is up on stage, but because of the power that comes when we repent, and give ourselves to your spirit. And I pray that you would help that to happen today, Father, in your name. Amen. So our core principle for this series has been battling unbelief for the sake of holiness, sin killing, and love. Because believing God's promises gives us an amazing power to love better, to pursue holiness more, and to kill sin in our lives. Sin has its root in unbelief, and we must look to God's promises to overcome that. We must change our desires by believing God's promises are all we need and understand the importance of living an obedient, holy life. I don't know about you, but sometimes this happens to me. Do you ever think, oh, I can, I can do this little sin and it's not going to affect me much. I can do it. Well, that might affect me, but it's not going to affect anyone else. Okay. You know, there's three lies Satan tries to trick us with, maybe more, but at least three lies that Satan tries to trick us with in our, in our path to holiness and sin killing. Number one is, you're the Lord of your life. You're in charge. That's the American way, right? You're in charge. Take yourself up by your bootstraps. Make it happen. You're the Lord of your life. That's a, that's a, that's a lie from Satan. Number two, I can give you more than God, right? He's not going to come out and tell us that, but... There's things that, oh, buy this, buy that, do this, do that. I, those things are more important than God. And, and they're subtle. 
And finally, you never have to feel left out or alone. Well, yeah, God promises himself, right? So we shouldn't. But there are times if we're really following Jesus, we're probably going to feel a little loneliness. We're probably going to feel a little bit of that until we, we get back on track. So we've got to know how Satan is trying to get to us so we can battle him better. And I think those three are the three lies of Satan that he tries to tell us. The more we can love God and be holy, the more God can use us, whether we see it or not. In Philemon, Paul's writing to Philemon about a runaway slave who's Philemon's possession, but Paul wants Philemon to release him. So he says to Philemon, refresh my heart in Christ, in Philemon verse 20. When you obey God and love people, the acts of obedience you do not only draw you near to the Lord, but they encourage other people. You don't know, and you're never going to know all the ways the positive, godly things that you do affect other people. So when you sin, it kills the intimacy between yourself and God, and it kills the intimacy that you can have with other people, even if you think it's just a little sin. So I want to encourage you today to live a holy life. The Holy Spirit can't work in you until you repent if you sin. For me, it takes me a little time. I don't want to go to read my, I have a hesitancy to go read the Bible. I don't want to pray because I know it's like, well, I know God knows what I, that I sin, but I have to repent. I, have, I don't have to. I should want to. But it, just, it kills that intimacy. So remember this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Or as Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The battle to live a holy life is real, but it's important that you understand it's a battle and that you continually daily to pursue it with the Holy Spirit's help. That's why it's important that you know your weaknesses, how the devil's trying to tempt you, where he's trying to get you at, because that could be different for all of us, and make sure that you try to overcome those. That's what this sermon series is about. So today, before we get into the scripture for today's sin of regret, I want to I talk to you about the top 15 things people regret when they come to, to the end of their lives, okay? So I want you to think about that question first. Think about one or two things that you think people might regret when they come to the end of their lives, okay? And then we're going to do this Family Feud style. You guys know Family Feud? You watch Family Feud? Raise your hand if you watch Family Feud. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, okay. Whew, that's good. You got to help me here. All right? So you know how... Uh, well, it's Steve Harvey now. Who remembers Richard Dawson? I won't kiss you probably. Yeah, all right, Richard Dawson fans. All right, um, we're going to start with 15. And you know how when, when they don't get the answers and it comes up on the screen, what happens? Everybody reads it together, right? Yeah, okay, so, so we're going to do that. Okay, here we go. Number 15, trusting the voice in the back of their head more. Good. Number 14, bearing the hatchet with a family member or friend. Good. 13, taught my kids more stuff. You guys are good. Number 12, letting my marriage break down. Number 11, gone on more trips with family and friends. Oh, we got, look at it. She's like 20 people in the front row. They're on a trip with their family and friends. They're not regretting. Woo, yeah. Number 10, been happier more, not taking life so seriously. Number nine, Applying for that dream job I always wanted. That was yours. Make sure you go do it after service. Number eight, 
living the life my parents wanted me to live and not the one I wanted to live. Number seven, not having enough confidence in myself. Number six, worried what others thought of me too much. Number five, breaking up with my true love, getting dumped by them. Ooh, bad. Number four, turned off my phone more or left it at home. Oh, yeah, you could have the Bible app up. I'm sorry. I'm not going to. Number three, staying in touch with that good friend from childhood. Number two, standing up to bullies in school and in life. And finally, number one, working so much in expense of my family and friends. They hear that all the time, don't you? Get to your end of your life? Yeah. How many of you had one of those that was up there as the one you thought of when I asked you? Ooh. You didn't take this survey. Don't you always wonder, who takes those surveys? And you see some of those answers? Yeah. Okay. Well, those are just some regrets that maybe you had or maybe you didn't. Um, so what is a regret? Well, def- defined, it's feel, you feel sad, repentant, or disappointed over something. Something that has happened or been done or especially a lost or missed opportunity. Okay? But is biblical regret, how, how is biblical regret different? Or is it different? So our passage today we're going to read is from 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, actually, uh, verses 8 through 11, okay? Second, I think it's 2 Corinthians, I think I have a type wrong in my notes. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11, okay? For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that letter that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because because your, your grief led to repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in this manner. So Paul's addressing a problem in the church in Corinth. The letter that he's talking about in this passage is, is thought to be a lost letter. It's not around today. It's between First and Second Corinthians. Um, he needed to address a sin issue in the church, and he did this with trepidation. He didn't know for sure, uh, we don't know for sure what the issue was. We think based on chapter 2, it might have to do with a person in the church and how their sin had influenced many people in the church. Paul had already made a painful visit to the Corinthians and tried to confront the issue, but the people really didn't listen to him. So he sent Titus with this missing letter to see if the church would now confront the problem with that person and do the correct thing which was to confront the sin and deal with it and reinstate the person if the person was repentant. And it does appear from chapter 2 that the the man repentant and was reinstated. Paul wanted the church to administer the discipline, not him. Uh, He got word then from from, from Titus that his letter to the church in Corinth was helpful, and he was rejoicing because of that. So in this passage, Paul addresses two different types of regret. He calls them godly regret or godly sorrow and worldly regret or worldly sorrow. So let's let's define those. 
Godly regret is the one that comes from knowing that your actions are unpleasing to God. It's called sin. And it leads us or drives us to God in repentance. Worldly regret is a regret for oneself, centered on self, not grief for sin against God. It grieves over consequences. It aches with embarrassment. It focuses on self, self-pitying. You've probably seen it sometime this week. We see it about every week in the paper, right? Either a pro athlete, uh, an actor, actress, or a politician does something and gets caught. Are they really sinful? Well, you know, I'm not the judge. But it appears maybe they're only kind of sad because they got caught, right? Not over what they really did. So that's the difference between godly regret and worldly regret. Many of the things that, we, that were on that list would not classify as sin, right? Um, you know, I wish I would have probably stayed in touch a little bit more with my best friend from my childhood, Terry Day, but I haven't. That's not sin. I mean, I could go back and do it right now. If I wanted to, I know where he lives. Uh, you probably looked at some of those things on the list and thought, yeah, I could, you know, I have a little regret that I didn't do that. But even if you didn't, it's not sin. Number 14 said, bearing the hatchet with a family member or old friend. Maybe that could be a sin. I, you know, it bothers me when I talk to someone and they say, I haven't talked to my dad or mom in years. Well, maybe you're not part of the problem, but what if you are? Or I did something in my past that I just don't see how God could forgive. Well, today, uh, I, you know, I get those things, but today we're going to look at some truth from God's word, and we want God's truth, and we want to apply our lives to what God's truth has to say about our past in those matters. So, so what is this passage trying to teach us? Paul is saying that he was scared to address the problem in the church and send the letter because he loved those people so much, he was afraid they might not take it the right way. And if they went in the opposite direction, the people, the church that he started, they would have been out on their own, they would have been doing things, and all the time he spent in efforts to make that church grow would have been in his, his for, you know, kind of for naught, okay? Um, kind of sounds like parenting to me a little bit, right? You know, what do we do if we see our kids doing something that they're not supposed to do? Well, I think any good parent doesn't just say, oh, you can just keep on doing that. You know, that's okay. No big deal. No, it, it, whether it's sin or just something we think is going to hurt them, we confront those issues, right? That's what Paul was doing. But just like Paul as a parent, we're like, there's sometimes we have to confront issues and we don't know, especially as our kids get older, what direction they're going to take with our advice, um, but now we're at a point where he gets this letter back from Titus or gets communication with Titus and he's found out that they took his advice, which was to confront God's truth, confront the problem based on God's word and what God said. It was a hard thing. There were some hurt feelings. Um, and even after the discipline from the church, it appears that the majority of the people there agreed with the discipline and what Paul did. But there was probably a small faction that didn't, and we're not sure if they left the church or not, but that's possible. Uh, these people changed. They repented. They went the other direction. They made things right. Um, godly regret is what they had. It leads to repentance. Godly regret always leads to repentance. So let's look at another example of God's word of godly regret versus worldly regret. Two people, P Peter versus Judas, you guys know the stories, right? Judas gave up Christ, right? 
hung him out to dry. But at the end, before he died, he said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. Peter. Remember Peter? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he did. They both sinned. They both regretted it. So what's the difference? Well, the response, right? Peter wept. Judas hung himself. Why? Faith. In Luke twenty two twelve, 12, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, Satan has demanded to have you that we might sift you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Peter's faith failed some, but it didn't totally fail. He knew. He wept. He was broken. He repented, and his faith returned. And it returned pretty strong. The rock that God built his church on. Judas regretted, doesn't appear broken, and he basically gave up on Jesus. I truly believe that if Judas would have repented and was broken before God, God would have reinstated him, just like he reinstated Peter. But he didn't. So what are the characteristics of godly regret? Two characteristics of godly regret. Number one, it must be felt. If you sin, you must feel regret, right? You, you have to know that you did something wrong. Psalm 32.5 says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's crazy. What happens when you try to harbor sin? Don't you feel like you're walking around with this weight on your shoulder? The verse says, my bones rotted. Uh, you just live with this burden in your life if you're a believer and you're trying to think you're getting away with something, right? If God has convicted you of sin and you're resisting, why are you resisting? Repentance to obedience and your brokenness, it brings peace. It brings a closer relationship with Jesus. It's hard. A lot of times, everything in our body is resisting that. But we can't hide our sin from Jesus. And you know that. So number one, it must be felt. Number two, we need to make right as much as possible. We need to make right as much as possible. Have you ever been in an argument? You know you're right. Okay. You're pretty sure you're right. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm right. But you know what? I really probably didn't handle that in the right way. I probably was a little too, I know I'm right in the argument. And as you think about, about the situation, uh, you're kind of like, yeah, I could have done this is better. I could have done this different. I could have done this different. So you're weighing, you're, you know, it's about 10 or 20% my fault, but it's about 80% the other person's fault. You know, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I've gotten good at this over my life because I'm so bad. I always put my foot in my mouth, right? So I've had to learn how to, how to actually, I feel regret, but how to apologize, right? You know, I know some people don't accept apologies, but everyone I've ever apologized to has accepted it. And so the point is, even if you're 10 or 20% of the problem, if you feel regret, you got to make the situation right. You've got to go to the person and you've got to apologize for what you did wrong and tell them why and what you did different and what you're going to do different. And then the easy thing to do then is to say, and, and when are you going to apologize? You did more wrong. What are you going to say? Right? But you can't do that. 
You can't do that. You've got to just, that's it, you're done. And then you've got to wait to see what they say. You've made your part of the situation right. You felt something wrong and you corrected it. That's all you can do, okay? I think that's super important. You've always got to be the one who initiates if you feel like that you've done something wrong. And usually if it's an argument, you probably did something wrong, whether it was majority you or the other person, right? You come with no expectations except to make the part you messed up right and what you will do differently the next time. So godly sorrow is felt. You know you've done something wrong and you repent. And then number two, you, might, you need to go in a lot of cases and make the situation right with another person. So how do you get victory over regret? When we think about regret, there are really two main issues of faith that we must truly believe and live out to have victory over the sin of regret in our lives. Number one, God's forgiveness. Do you truly believe God can forgive all, all of your past? 1 John 1, 9, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay? That's an incredible promise. You understand that? That's crazy. Three verbs. Confess, forgive, cleanse. Right? Confess. For, we have to confess. God does the forgiving we might get that part, right? I hope we get that part. We can have all our sins forgiven. We've heard that a few times in church, okay? But the last part's even more amazing to me, and that's the cleanse part. He can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As far as the east is from the west, he sees our sin no more. Guess what? I still see my sin, right? If I've done something wrong, yeah, I don't forget it after I've asked God to forgive me. I still remember it. The devil keeps to bring it up in my mind all the time. You're no good, look what you did. You're, you're not a great follower of Jesus. You're supposed to be an elder and you did this. Oh, come on. God doesn't see it that way. That's a lie. God tells us that. We're cleansed, we're free. We're right before him. In Jeremiah 31, 34, he says, I will remember their sins this is in Hebrews chapter 10. He's quoting the Old Testament. Paul's explaining Christ's sacrifice for sin once for all. Jeremiah 31, 34. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. That's crazy. He counts it as righteousness because of what he did for us on the cross. That's truth. That's the truth you have to believe. You can't let those wrong thoughts come into your mind and, and stay there. Well, you want to know a really bad, sinful person? How about David? Yeah, you know David. You know the guy that sent uh, a person to war so he'd get killed, and then he was an adulterer, so he tried to cover up his sin, and he killed somebody. Um, then elsewhere in Scripture, God says, that guy's a man after my own heart. Well, why would that be? Psalm 51 is David's heart. As we look at Psalm 51, a couple verses from there, this is what David said after he was caught in sin and he is repentant. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
And then moving on down, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take, me, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. David knew the secret. He couldn't keep up the front any longer. He couldn't be fake. It was too much to handle. He was broken, and God restored him because his heart was right. God's in that business, you know. He's in the business of restoring broken people. Finally, true repentance brings, at the end of 2 Corinthians, in the passage we read, chapter 7, verse 11, foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So after the Corinthians had repented, they were passionate about doing the right thing. It led them to clear themselves, to make things right, to make things right with the person involved, and to let God's love show through them as they did this. So the first issue of faith that we must deal with <clears throat> is God's forgiveness and really truly understanding God's forgiveness and how he forgives our sins and forgets our sins. Second is God's ability to make good. Our second issue of faith I think some people think this. You know what? I've screwed up so bad, no one can fix this. No one can make this situation right, not even God. So again, we're going to turn to God's Word to handle these wrong thoughts. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If you think that you've done something that God can't make right, then you're telling yourself a lie. The truth is what I just read. We must believe in God's sovereignty in every situation. God is in control and he has our best interests in heart, at heart. That's the truth. We gotta come back to the truth. The truth is God's word. The truth is what God says about forgiveness. The truth is what God says about being able to make his believers' lives matter. We have a hard time believing that, but we cannot continue to harbor sin from our past. We can't believe that the lie, the lie that we've done something so great that even God can forgive. So to have victory over regret, we must believe God's truth. God's truth about forgiveness, confess, forgive, <clears throat> and God makes it right. And secondly, God's ability to make good. So as we close today, I want you to just let God's spirit speak to you. What truth from God's word, not anything I've said, but from God's word, are you not applying to your life? I'm not going to read a list of things that I think it might be. I don't know. That's between you and God.
I just want to remind you of what Mercy Me says in their song, Flawless. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is, the cross has made, the cross has made you flawless. So I ask you to truly believe God's truth, and it's going to change your life. The truth that God can forgive everything, and there is nothing that you have done that can separate you from God's love, and that he can use that in some way. So as we close in prayer, I want you to let God's Spirit speak to you. If you have a decision to make, you can make it right there in your seat. If you feel like you need to come forward and use the come up here, that is fine too. We'll have people that can pray with you. Let's close in prayer. Father God, May your spirit move. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we have a God that we can confess our sins to that forgives us and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that we have a God that nothing falls outside of your sovereignty, that nothing is going to happen to us that you don't allow, and we know that it's going to work out for our good. Those are your truths. Those are what you promise us from your word. Those are unbelievable truths that sometimes it's hard to get our minds around. But I pray this morning you would help us to get our minds around those truths And that would change us. That would change us from the inside out. We love you, Lord. And we just thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.